What is the meaning of life? What do you do if another pastor takes a member of your congregation away? And are today's popular women teachers modern-day Montanists? The answers to these questions and others when we understand the text. This is When We Understand the Text, a daily study in the Word of Christ, that we may be sanctified completely and kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. Visit our website at www.utt.com. Here once again is Pastor Gabe. Thank you, Becky. You're welcome. Okay, deep probing question for you now. Okay. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna present it to you. I'm just gonna go straight to the email. All right. So it's 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 the deep. It's a surprise. The deepest question. Be prepared. And it's from Jonathan in Arizona. Okay. He says, Dear Gabe and Becky, I wanted to come up with a fantastic question. All right. Something unique yet simple. Mm -hmm. Not too deep or complex. Okay. Something I was sure would catch your attention. All right. And I would get to hear it read on your podcast. Awesome. I'm sorry, broadcast. (laughs) Good catch. I thought and thought... And thought some more. Uh Uh-huh. And I think I've come up with the right question. All right. Ready? Yes. Here it is. What is the meaning of life? I look forward to hearing my original question on the air. (laughs) Thank you for your ministry and for all that you have done through when we understand the text, Jonathan in Arizona. That's a great question. (laughs) I actually actually had this uh, email as part of the questions that we were going to read last week. Oh, yeah. But we just didn't get to yeah, it. Yeah, we ran out of time. And it was right before I was about to do the what video on this very question. What is the meaning of life? Aww. So here is the answer to Jonathan's question in the latest video that was put on our YouTube channel. What? What is the meaning of life? That is the question, right? It's the question at the heart of all philosophical and existential thought, and the answer means everything. Most of the ancient philosophers believed happiness was the meaning of life, and we acquire happiness through knowledge. The more a person knows, the happier they will be. So Indian teacher Buddha came up with his Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path to Happiness. Chinese philosopher Confucius taught that the happiest people are the well-educated. Greek thinker Plato believed we must attain to the highest form of knowledge. Socrates believed in asking questions, which leads to knowledge, which leads to happiness. Epicurus believed in finding happiness in simple things, like philosophy. Zeno, the founder of Stoicism, believed the meaning of life was freedom from suffering, which can be accomplished with the right kind of thinking. In all their ponderings, none of these wise guys held a candle to the brilliance of King Solomon. You know what he said? All things are full of weariness. There is nothing new under the sun, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Ouch. So happiness is not the meaning of life, and knowledge won't get you there. So what is the meaning of life? Solomon said this, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. There is a king even greater and wiser than Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ. His words lead to everlasting life and joy forevermore. Jesus is the answer when we understand the text. There's the meaning of life. There you go. Right, and let's let's uh, broaden that answer now a All little right. bit more. Go for it. Okay, so in James 4, 13 through 15, we read the following. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Mm, Very true. So James even philosophizes there, uh, as well as being theological, Mm -hmm. that it's if the Lord wills, we will have or we will have not, whether that is understanding Mm -hmm. or whether that is uh, mystery. That was my water bottle that popped over (laughs) I was like, what on earth? My water bottle was settling, so it kind of... It popped out. The plastic popped. (laughs) So at some point in your life, you've probably found yourself asking, what is the meaning of life? Have Mm -hmm. you ever asked this question before? Oh, yeah. Like where when in your life would have been this pondering of what's the meaning of all of this? Uh, Definitely in my 20s. Well, no, teens probably is when it started. Okay. And then um, in my 20s. And then I don't know. Life just got crazy. <laughs> <laughs> then stuff just happens. You yeah. got to focus on. You don't got time to and be then asking. I got saved. So. Well, yeah, there you go. And, and then you found that. the meaning of life. Yep. I don't know that I ever really went through a philosophical time when I'm wondering what's the meaning of all of this. Yep. I mean, there were certainly there were certainly times in my life when uh, I, I couldn't necessarily say that I was following Christ or my focus definitely wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But. That I was kind of sitting around wondering what's the meaning or what's the purpose of all of this. I don't know that I ever really hit that. Yeah. Be happy. I mean, I was pretty miserable at that point in time. Don't worry. Be happy. Did you? uh, You know the song, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. I'll be happy. (laughs) (laughs) And just like that, we started having to pay copyright on the uh, the podcast. Only if we get paid, though, right? Yeah. Oh, that's right. We're a nonprofit. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. We don't. We don't have to pay anything. So just don't tip us. <laughs> right. So yeah, all of all of philosophy uh, kind of surrounds uh, is surrounding that question: What is the meaning of life? Mm. So everybody's been pondering for all these years: Why? Uh, who am I, and why am I here? Mm-hmm. You know. And we'll say that jokingly, but that's kind of the the bedrock of the uh the search for significance you know and there was uh carl sagan who was the well people call him an atheist i think there's dispute as to whether or not he was an atheist but anyway the the atheist astronomer who uh said that we look into the heavens to try to find extraterrestrial life because when they find who they are then we find out who we are okay and frank peretti responded to that really funny he said i you know it's really going to make me laugh if one of these days we actually do find some sort of extraterrestrial signal traveling through space Mm -hmm. and we grab it and we translate it and what we translate uh the alien saying is when we find out who they are we will find out who we are (laughs) they're asking the same question yeah that's what i was thinking too i'm like they're probably asking the same thing we are now you've been teaching the kids uh, as you've been going through like the timeline, the CC timeline, uh-huh. yeah. you've been teaching the kids classical about conversations. classical conversations okay. for those timeline, who don't yes. know. Yes. Uh, you've talked to them about these philosophers mm-hmm. and about the times when they lived or the order in which kind of all these historical events took place. Right. We're still in the foundations, um, which is for those of you who don't or who aren't um, savvy with this terminology, it's it's like the elementary. So. In um, classical learning, they they start with vocabulary and very basic knowledge, and then they expound on that as they get older. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we we have been, but it's been very basic. But I know that I've heard the kids go through like Confucius and mm-hmm. and Buddha 
Like they yeah, mentioned Lao Tzu, that. Confucius and Buddha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yes. as we were going through that in the video, were you kind of thinking, you know, hey, we've talked about these things. Yep. Okay. A couple. Yeah. <laughs> so these yeah. philosophers, most of the ancient philosophers hail from like India, China, and Greece. Mm-hmm. And they believed that happiness was the meaning of life. <clears throat> right. So that was what you were saying about like when you were kind of going through the whole search for significance thing, you yeah. were searching for happiness. Is that what you were looking for? Yeah. Like what's going to make me happy? Right. And it wasn't being cooped up at home, being grounded. It wasn't, <laughs> you know, my friends not liking me at that day or you know, any of this drama that was going on. It was it was like, this is not making me happy. You know, get me out of here. I need something to make me happy. I need to run away. And then you, you were rebellious. Oh, yeah, yeah. You look at the culture today and how rebellious it is, especially, you know, it's what we talk about, the being the millennial generation, right. the youngers. You don't really see a lot of happiness no. in that group. No, they're all grumpy. Very, very angry. I was angry. I That's was, right. You think you're going for happiness, but yeah. what you come up with is an angry, bitter person. Because you're expe- you have high expectations. If I do this one thing, then it's going to make me happy. And then that doesn't make you happy. So then you're like, well, that must not have been it. And, and it just total let down. So then you go after something else. This, this is going to make me happy. Right. You know, it's, it's a constant. Um, and you just don't know. You think it's going to, but you don't know that it it, it, it you're that, not a guarantee right that you don't know that ultimately this is going to come out to be unfulfilling right and you're going to have to and look then, for something else and then it gets total drop down so it's kind of like you get highs and you get lows just emotionally mm-hmm. and it, it's um yeah and you don't like being at the lows so you you keep looking for the higher and the higher and the higher and then so, fall into despair. Did you ever really kind of despair? Yeah. Like I'm not finding any significance or purpose in anything. Yeah. It was it was pretty low. I was I mean, I I don't know. I look back and I'm like, how dumb I was, you know? Like <laughs> you were really depressed over high school stuff. Yeah. Like it's high school. Who you know, you're just people say that you're gonna outgrow it. You are, trust me, and it's okay. It's okay to be sad, it's okay to be angry, but you'll get, get over, over it. it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I had a friend who had uh, graduated with like two master's degrees in psychology. Yeah. And the first job that they got was working with youth. It okay. was like a troubled youth. It wasn't like a um, a detention center. Okay. It wasn't a youth detention center, but it was just working with troubled youth. They okay. had set times they had to come in and speak with a counselor. Right. And, uh, and when I was visiting with her about it after she had been doing it for like a year. So you've got your master's degrees. Now you're putting your psychology into practice. How are you liking it? She said, I'm just working with teenagers. And the one thing you want to say to every one of them, and there has yet to be an exception to this, you just want to tell them, you'll get over it. Yes, you know? <laughs> yes but you can't tell them that. I know. You can't. It's like, oh, people told me that all the time. And I just got even angrier. Right. Like it was so backfired. <laughs> I can't really say I was all that dramatic a teenager. I mean, I definitely heaped my own drama on myself. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's like I, I just wanted to cause trouble for myself. Mm-hmm. That was about my freshman and sophomore year. I was a little more mature my junior and senior year. Not a whole lot. Oh, I always thought myself to be so mature <laughs> and above my own, you know, and it was, yeah. There's still I some mean, things I, I, I would was, slap myself kind for. Kind of, but then again, I was really dramatic. Yeah. So I was tough to live with. My poor parents. <laughs> yeah, your mom keeps telling me that Aria is a lot mm-hmm. like you. So yep. 
Yeah. I'm not looking forward and to that. She's only four. <laughs> <laughs> we got uh, yeah. more to look forward to from her, I suppose. Yep, that's why I keep praying every day that she is saved, that the Lord saves her soul. And does it early. Yes. That's right. Yes. Maybe I should add that on. (laughs) (laughs) Name it and claim it, babe. (laughs) Name it and claim her salvation early. (laughs) So you had talked about how when you were trying to find significance, you would find one thing and it wouldn't be satisfying. And so then you would have to go to another thing. Or it would be just enough satisfying that I would keep going. And then it would I look would get, for more yeah. or add on to it. Yeah. And then it, it, it got to some extreme situations. But so you really see this throughout the pattern of philosophy through the ages as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you think about the beginning of philosophy. If you're talking about Confucius and Buddha mm-hmm. being like the earliest two big philosophers, mm-hmm. they're about 500 B.C., Mm-hmm. So 500 years before Christ is where you've got these guys talking about the significance and the meaning of life. And they believed that knowledge led to right. happiness. Happiness is the meaning of life. Knowledge, therefore, leads to happiness. So then what you see throughout the trend of philosophy is that different definitions of happiness and knowledge change. Mm-hmm. So that w- that didn't work. So now we're going to change it to this. And maybe this is going to end up getting us to the solution to this conundrum or this problem right. we've been debating for the centuries. Right. The more there a person... Was another philosopher who thought that um, nothing was the happiness. Like, to not think about Yeah, just anything. clear your mind of yeah. everything. I tried that, too. It don't work. Yeah. Well, a lot of <laughs> I people... I mean, it does on the outside, but the inside, you still feel heavy and bogged down right like there were people that got mad at me because i was so happy in high school like literally they they said they can't like me because i'm too happy and and i just you know i i might have been happy on the outside but on the inside it was just like i don't i don't want you to see what's inside you know because it's all burning and boiling and stuff and and uh yeah i don't know well the the earliest philosophers it didn't work that's all i know (laughs) yeah. <laughs> it's all in vain. And that's it what was. Solomon said. It was. It's all vanity. It's all chasing after the wind. Yes. So before these philosophers. And it was still to make myself happy. Yeah. It was, and I mean, it's all selfish. The, right. That was the end goal. Uh, you know, uh, before I get to, I was going to read some Solomon oh, here. I'm sorry. But before getting to that, when I was in college, this mm-hmm. is this is going to be somewhat of a of a humble brag here. <laughs> uh, but when I in my senior year of college, I was at Kansas State University. I took a philosophy class. And when I first got there, I was told, you'll never get into a philosophy class. Hmm. They fill up right away. It's every student wants to go into philosophy, so don't even try it. Interesting. Well, I got to my last semester, and my uh, advisor said, you need one more humanities credit. Let me sign you up for philosophy. And I said, I I thought you told me I'd never get into a philosophy class. He's like, well, I know the guy, and I'm going to put you in philosophy. Funny thing about this class is that the teacher looked just like Keanu Reeves. And he sounded like Neo from The Matrix. Oh, interesting. And and so it was, it really, <laughs> that's the way he talked. That was the Keanu Reeves uh, a personality that he put out, uh-huh. was was Neo from The Matrix. All and right. it just so happened he really had a thing for Carrie Ann Moss as well, <laughs> who plays Neo's love interest uh-huh. in the movie. So uh, anyway, it, so that was really funny. I'm in a philosophy class with Neo from The Matrix. <laughs> and I was really, really good at that class. And I, uh, when we had papers that were due every other Friday, mm-hmm. and it was going to be on the two philosophers we had talked about. There'd be a philosopher one week, 
then the next week it would be another philosopher. And so we're we're talking about the comparisons and the differences between the two. And that's what we had to put in our paper. It had to be three page paper at least. Okay. And uh, I was so adept at writing papers and I was I had such a grasp on philosophy that I was never writing these papers until an hour before class mm-hmm. and I could knock it out every time. And there was at one point that I got really concerned about that because I was like, one of these times we're going to get an assignment that's going to be harder and I'm going to put it off until the last, literally the last hour, which yeah. is what I was doing every time. And I am, I'm going to fail. I'm not, never going to get right. it done. So the next time that we had a paper due, I gave myself two hours. Ooh, how'd you do? <laughs> I got it done in one hour and then twiddled my thumbs for the next hour <laughs> before class was going to start. So I really was, I really was good at this class. Mm-hmm. And this teacher did tell me, you write the best papers of anyone that I've seen in this class. Interesting. And of course, I, I just, you know, prided myself in it. Ha ha, I'm better than all these guys. I wish that, looking back on that, I really was not a very solid Christian at that time. There Mm -hmm. were a lot of private sins that I had going on, things nobody knew about, Mm -hmm. things that I was doing in the dark, alone in my dorm room, Mm -hmm. uh, that that I could do secretly, never have to confess to anybody, you know, things like that. So in my my outward appearance, I look like the squeaky clean Christian guy, Mm -hmm. but inwardly my heart was far from God. Right. And and the ways that manifested itself in other ways that manifested itself is that I wasn't being evangelical at all. So I wasn't ever sharing my faith with anybody. Mm. I just thought I was meeting the bare minimum of a Christian. So therefore, I can I can call myself a Christian, you know. And uh, and so I was talking with uh, uh, this philosopher guy one time and he he even asked me. It was when I took my final and I didn't take the final with the rest of the class because I was gone that week. And he let me skip it. Oh, and wow. he said, you just come to my office and take it whenever you want. Uh, you're, you've already passed this class. Oh, wow. So the final is not, you know, it's just going to be the difference between you getting an A or a B. That's really what it is at this point. Hmm. So I went to his office and I took the final. And as I was handing it in and we were sitting and talking, he said, how, how do you have such a grasp of philosophy the way that you do? Have you taken other classes before coming into this or, or what's in your mind whenever we're talking about the things we talk about because everything was was open in class Mm -hmm. every class period was just open discussion anybody raise hands say whatever they wanted um i'll make a comment here about that in a moment before i skittles before yeah right (laughs) before i rabbit trail too far but i said to him here's here's the basic way that i approach philosophy there's two rules number one there's nothing new under the sun number two it's just chasing your tail Mm. it's just man chasing his tail it begins and ends with man. Right. And so that's the way I approach it. That's the way I look at it whenever we're reading any of these philosophers. And and uh, so I'm beginning and ending with the same point. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't accomplish anything. None of these philosophers have actually acquired the knowledge that they were looking for. And we think they sound smart, but some of these guys are ridiculously easy to dismantle. Right. Uh, you know, when you have a guy like Immanuel Kant who claim that you can't really know anything about the real world. Well, then how does he know there's a real world there that you can't really know? Right. It's, so, so the, uh, you know, stuff like that. And he would just be, he would just shake his head, He'd just be sitting there at his desk, shaking his head. He's like, I've never even thought of that. It's like you really, right. You put these guys up on a pedestal. You think they're the thinkers wow. from history, Descartes and Kant and Kierkegaard and Hume and, you know, some of they some of them came up with very good ideas. Right. But there was always a flaw. And then, of course, some of them just came up with ri- ridiculous ideas. 
but what I wish I would have said to him was, all of this is meaningless. Mm. All of the all the philosophy that these guys have come up with, it's all meaningless. Doesn't lead anywhere. It's just chasing your tails, just running around in circles. But let me tell you about the one that does give meaning mm -hmm. and purpose and significance, and that's Jesus Christ. I had the opportunity there to tell him that. And that's the other half of the story. That's that's the other half. Of, this should have been the other half of the story. Yeah, should have. <laughs> and it, I mean, it should every day for us. I mean, I'm sure everybody's at, listening to this and thinking, you know, why I need to say that more, too. Right. You know? Like, why don't I say that more? 500 years before Buddha and Confucius were ever thinking up these things, before the Eightfold Path to Happiness or mm -hmm. the Four Noble Truths uh, or any of this, Solomon, 500 years before these guys, had already thought up and pondered everything. Yeah. And in Ecclesiastes, true. this is what he said. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. Jerusalem, the city of God. Mm-hmm. And my heart has had great experience in wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Hmm. It's like he knew everything backwards in front. Right. He knew, he knew the highest of wisdom and the lowest of stupidity. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. Hmm. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow mm -hmm. and you really don't have to uh, uh ponder too long to understand that because we have the old adage ignorance is bliss right you, you yep. look at the the happy drunk you yeah. know he, he totally not a care in the world he's drunk mm -hmm. because he's dumb he's dulled his senses yeah to have to think about the stuff in life that he doesn't want to think about mm -hmm. uh this is you know the same as what you said with um Oh, I can't remember the way that you commented on it now, but with the, where, how you said none of these things were making you happy. Right. So then you just tried not to think of anything at all. Right. And, I did. And it's why people do drugs and get mm -hmm. uh, uh, strung out and, and they get totally plastered and loaded on alcohol and all other, other kinds of things. Yeah, They're trying that, to dull their brain. But that doesn't always work either. And that, Yeah. And then that doesn't work and you need more of it. Right. To get you even duller than you were before. Right. And then eventually it kills you. Yep. It does. So the ignorance is bliss statement really uh, surpasses the philosophers who were trying to say that knowledge is the way that we acquire happiness. Mm. But the more you know, the more sorrowful you become. I believe that. Until you know Jesus Christ. And Amen. it's only by knowing him. And that, incidentally, is a gift from God. To know yes. God through Christ is God having given us that knowledge opening our minds and our hearts to understand what is said in his word about his son mm -hmm. that Paul describes in Colossians uh, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We find everything that we need to know, the answer to everything for life, we find it in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And uh, that is... Something that the philosophers are just never going to come to because in all of man's ponderings, they will never get there. It's a chasing after the wind. Mm. It's the Apostle Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Yeah. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Right. And then in 1 Corinthians 2.14, uh, where he says that uh, the natural man cannot discern spiritual things for they are spiritually discerned and they are folly to him. 
The natural man can't perceive this. It is we who have been given the Holy Spirit of God that understand the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. Right. So that is not up to us. That's right. The, the meaning of life is Christ. In a nutshell. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father but by me. He is the answer. It's, uh, who was it that uh, Andre Crouch wrote the song? Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there is no other. Jesus is the way. Amen. Still true. When didn't he write that? Back in the 70s or something like that? I have no idea. Yep. Still needed in uh, in the 2010s. Mm-hmm. We still in the 2010s? We are. That's right. Just barely. It's not 2020 until next year. So thank you for Two your uh, thank you for your question, Jonathan. As a matter of fact, your question occupied about the first half hour of our podcast. Yeah, and a great name, by the way. Yes, that's my brother's name. I think we have another John in here too. It might be the. Um. Nope. 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 But I saw. A... I anon is what you saw. No, go down. Clint. Nope. David. Oh, that's what I saw. Anon. Okay. Two Anons, two that asked not to be mentioned, uh-huh. and then a Clint and a David. Well, I thought that the David was a Daniel, and I was like, hey, that's oh. my dad's name. And so. then that's your dad's name. <laughs> we got your brother's name. We got your dad's name. Uh, yeah, next question comes from Anon. Pastor uh-huh. Gabe, a pastor of another church is counseling a member of my congregation, and I don't like it. Uh. It's not that I distrust the member of my flock who is also a close friend. I'm disappointed in the pastor. I don't like that another pastor is giving someone from my church spiritual guidance and that pastor has never called to talk with me about it. I'm not asking for the lowdown on what's going on. I would just like the courtesy of being told, hey, I'm helping a member of your flock. Do you think it is unreasonable for me to feel this way? It is a common problem in our little community that when someone goes from our church to another church, the pastor of the church they're now attending feels no need to contact their former pastor. I am a pastor of a small church, and I have no other pastors in my church on whom that I can rely for counsel. I don't think of myself as a jealous person, but I've always been bothered when these or other similar situations arise. From one pastor to another, how have you dealt with occasions such as this? Thank you for your time and for your ministry. Well, first of all, anonymous pastor, I really don't think that you're going through anything that uh, that I want to say every other pastor has dealt with this to some degree. Okay. <laughs> I mean, whether you're from a small town or you're from a big city. Yeah. I think that every pastor has dealt with, uh, you know, kind of an internal struggle or maybe just hurt feelings over the fact that a member of their congregation would go somewhere else. Mm hmm. And why they would do that, you know, maybe for petty reasons or whatever. Right. But then in even going to that next church, why doesn't the pastor call the previous church and ask, uh, hey, what's going on? Why has a member of your flock now come into mine? Mm-hmm. Or even just to call and say, hey, I just want to let you know that the member that was formerly at your church is now at mine and we're taking good care of them. Mm-hmm. You know, why isn't there that kind of camaraderie that exists between the pastors? I've certainly been hurt by things like this before. Right. Um, but at the same time, I don't I don't want to sit on here and say, ha ha, I'm better than all these other guys that, that doesn't want to be. I don't want that to be my approach at all. I just want to say I've learned from this situation that when somebody has come into my flock from another church, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get greedy and like, great, I got one more person in my church. I'm needing the extra money in the offering plate anyway. Right. Okay, you know, uh, or I want the extra body in there because I'm teaching better than those other guys in town. Right. But when that person comes in, I'm going to sit down and have a conversation with them. And I'm going to say, 
what other church were you attending before you came here? Mm-hmm. And have you talked with him and made things right if if things aren't going well before you came here? Right. Have and, you tried to work that out? Right. Have you tried to work that out? Mm-hmm. And there have been a couple of times that has happened. Mm-hmm. And the result of that has been that the person left our church and went to another one. Yeah. <laughs> because or there they, was the one time that they went back to their church. Yeah. And that's happened before, too, mm-hmm. where they did go back to their church, make things right. And I believe they've been there ever since. Yeah. When I was uh, when I was just starting out, there was a former pastor of my church, not anybody that I worked with. Mm-hmm. He, he had been pastor at our church years ago. Okay. I don't even know if you've met him before. Maybe maybe you have. I'm not sure. No. Anyway, he called me. We had a funeral one time for uh, a member of our congregation, and it was somebody that he pastored when he was a pastor at this church. They had been here at the church for that long. Mm-hmm. And he called me up and said, hey, I just wanted to let you know I'm coming into town. I'm going over to visit with the family. I'm going to talk with them and pray with them. And he said, he said to me, I just am calling to let you know this because I don't go into any other pastor's jurisdiction or congregation or territory without notifying him of that first. That was kind. And that taught me a lot. Mm -hmm. Just him doing that taught me that I need to exemplify that same kind of behavior. Right. So not just when someone comes into my church from another church, but even if I'm going to go into another community, somebody's calling me and saying, hey, I want to talk to you about something. Could you come and visit with me? Uh, I'm going to go to that person and call their pastor and say, just letting you know, member of your flock has contacted me and asked me to talk and pray with them. And so that's what I'm coming over to do. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate I appreciate that lesson that the Lord would teach me that through the example of this pastor, of this other minister. And I think in today's society, we've really gotten away from common courtesy. Yeah. And because we just got done talking about it's all about me. So um, it's it's hard to get away from it whenever the the regular society, the the courtesies out the window altogether. So even if we're talking with someone to help them become better Christian, then that's good enough, you know, not going out of our way for anything else. So it's it's hard to remember what it used to be like as as far as what was common courtesy you know and then um to to go above and beyond that is just rarely heard of yeah and so, and so uh, bring anonymous it back. Bring it back. <laughs> that's right so anonymous pastor i would just extend to you that i mean you humble yourself in yeah. this situation and that you uh, uh treat people with reverence and respect um if you feel like you know the other pastor of the church where a member of your congregation is gone. Don't just sit there in bitterness and say, well, why hadn't that pastor contacted me? Yeah, maybe. And again, I don't know the situation and the relationship between you and this other minister, but maybe you be the one to reach out and say, hey, right. we had a member of your of our flock that had stepped out and I understand they're attending your church. How are things going? Mm-hmm. And don't do it to gossip. Don't do it to try to get revenge like, Mm -hmm. well, this member left my church and now they're over at yours. And here's what they did when they were here. Unless something really serious did happen, in which case you probably do have to either warn them or because you care for that former member of your flock and they're needing to be shepherded a certain way. Right. Called to repentance over something, maybe contacting that pastor and alerting them to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, uh, if anything, I hope that what I'm impressing upon you is a spirit of humility. Mm-hmm. That you just not think of yourself as being, well, I'm better than all those guys, and why don't those guys pay attention to me? 
give it to the Lord, submit it to God and, and let the Lord work in the hearts of either those other pastors or the members of your congregation that have walked away. Mm -hmm. And if you never, your heart and yes, and your heart as well. Mm -hmm. If you never hear from them again, um, you know, my heart breaks for you. I certainly relate with you. And I can tell you that a lot of other pastors do as well. Mm -hmm. I know that you wish that the common courtesy would kind of improve. But like Becky said, be the one that sets the example. Yeah. And be that courteous person, though, you know that others may not extend to you the same courtesy in return. Right. Next question. This one comes from Clint. Greetings, Gabeki. Hello. I hope I spelled that right. Looks right to me. Looks right. I also yeah. hope that I'm sending this email to the right place. I'm meaning to send it to wwutt at gmail.com. Or maybe the initials should be spelled out. It's why I've CC'd Pastor Gabe on this one. Forgive me <laughs> if I got the main email wrong. So I pulled this one out of my Pastor, uh, Pastor Gabe Hughes at Gmail account. Oh, did you? Because we don't have wwutt at Gmail. Oh, our Gmail address is when we understand the text. It is all spelled out. At gmail.com. That's right. So, again, uh, I didn't open the program this way, but being the Friday edition of the podcast, we take questions from the listeners, and you can submit your questions by emailing them to when we understand the text at gmail.com. I don't think I even said that last week either. I don't remember last week very much. <laughs> Something about last week leads me to believe I didn't I didn't give the email address out in that one either. Uh, anyway, so Clint goes on here. I've been reading much church history as of late, mm. and I wanted to ask you some questions on this. If my understanding is correct, it appears Montanism placed emphasis on direct revelation from God and women preachers. Would this make such folk as Beth Moore, Kelly Minter, and Priscilla Shirer uh, Shirer, I can't ever pronounce her last name, Tony Evans' daughter. Anyway, uh, would it make them modern-day Montanists? If they're Montanists, couldn't we rightly classify them as heretics? Also, could you pinpoint which historical figures used music to draw people to their teachings the way today's modern heretical quartet do, like Hillsong, Bethel, Jesus Culture, and Elevation Worship. Very thankful for your ministry and how careful slash technical you and Becky are in informing the audience that this ministry is no replacement for a local church. This type of technical exhortation is sorely lacking in modern evangelicalism. Mm. Praying for you both to stay faithful in this blessed endeavor. Thank you. Thank you so much, brother. And yeah, we so it reiterating again, this program nor any of the other podcasts that you listen to right. are a replacement for the church body that you should be fellowshipping with. Right. Um, and listen, you can get online and you can listen to better preachers than you would probably consider your pastor at church being. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've said the same to my own congregation. There are better preachers out there than me. You want to sit at home and bring up a podcast and listen to some other preacher that's better than I am. There's plenty. There's a plethora of them to choose from. Mm. They're definitely out there. But that's not what we've been called to. Right. We've been called to be united as a body, to grow together in the preaching and teaching of the word. And we're all sitting under the same uh, guidance and leadership as that word is being preached not just from me, but also from the other elders. That's right. Because we're a plurality eldership in my church, I also submit to the other elders. So what they say, I submit to. Yeah. <laughs> That's the great thing about being in a plurality eldership is like the instruction that Peter gives in 1 Peter chapter 5 to be 
in submission to the elders mm-hmm. in a plurality eldership everybody has to obey that even yep. the pastor's got to obey that so i delight to obey that and and i love my brothers dave and dwight and the and the fellowship and the work that we do together in the lord uh they are not just good elders to be in uh in this work of ministry with but they're good friends as well amen so let's go back to clint's question now after i've uh, glowingly heaped praise on my on my brothers <laughs> so he's asking about montanism now mm-hmm. montanism um came about in the i want to say it was the second century it was a fellow by the name of montanus who lived uh looking through my info here uh, about ad 135 to late ad 177 so it's you were kind of uncertain as to when the montanism activity was going on but that's when we believe that it was okay and we only know about it because of the writings of others that have said things about montanism we uh, we don't have any surviving writings of montanism interesting and the reason for that is because it was heresy mm-hmm. and so the church that was able to suppress that at the time had any of those works destroyed right but you had a fellow by the name of montanus and he had two female colleagues uh, Prisha, sometimes called Priscilla. Okay. Uh, just like you have Aquila and Priscilla. Right. Who were uh, evangelists to Apollos. Mm-hmm. So this, th- that's the same name. Okay. Of course, not the same person, but same name, Priscilla. And, uh, and Maximilla was the other woman. And they claimed that they were receiving revelation from the Holy Spirit that was even above and beyond the things that they were getting from the word of God. Hmm. And these two women even became more popular than Montanus. Hmm. But together, Montanus with Priscilla and Maximilla, they kind of became known as the three. And they spoke in just these charismatic ways and in all this ecstasy. And they would go into trances like we would think about the charismatics and the uh, Pentecostals doing today. Mm-hmm. And they would encourage their followers to fast and pray. And if they were to uh, apply this asceticism to their bodies, so like causing the body to suffer through fasting okay. or denying the body of something, right. then it would cause a certain pain or anguish or longing for God that would allow them to see revelations. If a person was suffering from uh, hunger, but you know, if a person is deprived of food long enough, they're probably going to start hallucinating. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> or or like uh, you're so dehydrated because you haven't been drinking and then you start having yeah. hallucinations. Yeah. So, I mean, I see stars whenever I don't have the right amount of anything just yeah your blood sugar level yeah so um i can't imagine yeah that's what it sounds like they were doing they were telling people to deprive themselves of certain things of the body that would actually Mm -hmm. cause you know physical aches and pains and maybe even cause them you mean damage (laughs) that's right (laughs) physical damage cause damage to their bodies yes now tertullian is a famous early church father Mm -hmm. uh, and he actually defended Montanism. Interesting. He defended the idea that the Holy Spirit is still working in such a way that is revealing new truths. Hmm. And I think that Tertullian even kind of came into a sense of boredom at some point with with just the the word studies. And he wanted to also believe that there was uh, some revelation that was going on outside of the study of the word of God. So Mm -hmm. that's why he clung to what was called new prophecy. And he was even kind of led in the direction of Montanism. Uh, you, mm-hmm. I knew that Eusebius wrote about it as well. So like I said, there are writings 
that have been preserved that reference Montanism, but we don't actually have anything from Montanism to really get a, a clear idea of exactly what they were teaching, mm-hmm. whether there were some claims to basic doctrinal truths that would have the way that they were describing those basic doctrines may have come out to be heretical. Yeah. But we do know that the early church, for the most part, did consider Montanism to be heresy. So then Clint's question here is, given that there were these women prophets, Priscilla and Maximilla, along with Montanus, who were coming up with these extra biblical revelations, Mm -hmm. given that this was being called heresy by the early church would that then make people like beth moore kelly minter and priscilla shirer modern day montanists would we call them heretics well (laughs) i'm gonna err on the side of grace and say no Mm -hmm. i don't think of beth moore kelly minter and priscilla shirer as montanists Uh i do consider the international house of prayer and Bethel Church, Jesus Culture, everything else lumped in with them. I do consider them to be the modern day Montanists hmm. because you've got uh, you've got a guy like Mike Bickle, who is the founder and the leader of the International House of Prayer. Mm-hmm. You've got him saying things like, "Hey, I went to heaven and I had a personal audience with God." And he says this didn't just happen once; it happened two times. And he's having a personal conversation with Jesus who's telling him what he's going to go back to earth and do. Wow. That is really more on the level of what the Montanists were doing. I've not ever heard Beth Moore say something to the degree of, you know, I just I just went into this like otherworldly sort of place mm-hmm. and God was revealing these new things to me. And, and no, it wasn't Jesus in her backyard. Well, okay. She was she was sitting on her back porch and she said that God kind of like raised her up and showed her the church from his vantage point. Mm -hmm. And that's what she's claiming. Okay, And and what she saw was the Roman Catholic Church was included in with this one church, the way that Jesus saw it from a particular dimension is the way that she is the way that she talked about it. So we know that what she was saying was a lie. Mm-hmm. In the sense that God could not have possibly been showing her that. But whenever you press Beth Moore on this stuff, whenever somebody actually has a close enough association with her and really does start to push back on some of these claims that she makes, she'll say, well, you know, I wasn't really like I didn't ascend off my back porch and I'm like sitting up here in this upper dimension and I'm looking down on the church or what. she'll try to qualify that. I don't literally hear the voice of God in my head. It's just the still small voice, you know, that she hears in her conscience or something like that. Of course, the follow up question to that would be, well, then what's the difference? Yeah. I mean, are you talking about the difference between a prophet and you is that a prophet heard the audible voice of God speaking out loud, but you don't. Mm -hmm. But you're still saying what you think God is speaking in your heart, which is therefore just as authoritative as what an what a prophet said. Or what an apostle said. Mm -hmm. So, like, what is the difference exactly? What's the difference between hearing the audible voice of God and hearing a voice in your head? Yeah. Like like you're claiming. So, anyway. um, But there are going to be some people that will disagree. There are going to be some people that are going to push back on me and say, no, we really do think that Beth Moore, Kelly Minter, and Priscilla Shirer are modern-day Montanists um, and, and therefore heretics. Okay. I just I I don't go that far simply because I've never heard Beth Moore say anything 
that I would that would lead me to believe that she's a heretic. Mm -hmm. Everything that I've heard her say regarding the teaching of Christ honestly is all right on as far as the fundamentals are concerned. Mm -hmm. Never heard her say anything that I would consider to be heretical. I do believe that Beth Moore is a false teacher, but even if a person won't accept that she's a false teacher, I hope that at the very least they can recognize that she is unqualified. And okay. I think that goes without saying. Uh, and not just in the sense that she is a woman who is teaching men, and she even fills in pulpits in churches on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. So she is doing something that 1 Timothy 2.12 explicitly prohibits mm -hmm. when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Teaching women, I wouldn't have as much of a problem with Beth Moore if she were doing that. There's certainly right. still a pragmatism to her teaching that I don't like, and we wouldn't use our materials or we wouldn't use her materials in our church. Right. But th nevertheless, there's not enough uh, substance there for me to say of her that she's a heretic. Uh, she's a, a very, very poor witness, though. She gets very, very childish online, picks fights with people, uh, uh, puts fellow believers down. Yeah, she will say notice that. Yeah, she will say things that are just cryptic enough that it causes quarrels among people. Mm -hmm. uh, she does not speak on tough issues. Rather, she loves to side with those things that are culturally trendy and popular. Right. Uh, and so there are many, there's a multitude of ways that Beth Moore has disqualified herself. You very, very rarely ever hear her say things about like, God took me to this other place and showed me this other thing. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, you find just very few bits and pieces of that stuff just smattered around in some uh, video clippings on YouTube. Right. But it's not common to her teaching. I've listened to a lot of Beth Moore sermons and you very rarely uh, uh, hear her say that. I say that I've listened to a lot of Beth Moore sermons and, and my wife rolled her eyes. Yeah, I, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> well, I can't a, do it. a lot of it was before you and I met. Because, oh, yeah, that's right. Because when I was in Christian radio, we were playing her on the air. Mm -hmm. So I've listened to her a lot. Mm -hmm. And I can say that of every sermon that I listened to her preach on the radio, I never heard her say anything like, uh, like God showed me this vision or he spoke into my heart or something like that. Now, now there certainly was that story of her combing the guy or brushing the guy's hair in the airport. Right. I heard that long time ago, long yeah. before it ever got popular. I was hearing that story. And and yeah, she definitely tells stories like that where she feels like God is telling her something. And, you know, mm -hmm. so she's relaying this happy-go-lucky God in her story of, like, I want you to go brush the man's hair. She she right. hears God telling her, I want you to go brush the man's hair, you know. So there's certainly things like that, but it's not the sort of a deal where she uh, is is getting, like, this, this voice from the cosmos that's speaking to her or mm -hmm. giving her some sort of uh, uh, um, trance vision or something to that degree. Yeah. Those stories are very rare. They're few and far between. She's definitely more charismatic. She's like that Baptocostal. Yeah. And she seems to be getting more and more chummy with the, the people who are um, her heretical. The, the ones that are heretical, yes. Yeah. Yeah, like with Which the, is concerning. the Bethel Church crowd. I mean, uh, Jackie Hill Perry's doing the same thing. Yeah. She's starting to minister with the Bethel Church group. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, this really kind of... I won't say it necessarily started with Francis Chan, but he was certainly one of the first big names yeah, definitely. that started partnering with this group of uh, not just 
charismatic and Pentecostal heretics who, who actually teach fundamental doctrines in a heretical way. Mm-hmm. They teach heresy on the fundamental level. Right. So, so they're not just uh, heretics in that sense, but they're also prosperity preachers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Beth Moore yeah. certainly has association with that. She's preached at Joel Osteen's church. Right. She's done numerous things with Joel and with Victoria Osteen, uh, with Hillsong and Brian Houston, uh, with uh, the Crouches on their program on TBN. Mm-hmm. So, so she is heavily connected to the prosperity movement folks. And there, there's a lot of danger there with Beth Moore, enough to not have to try to make these uh, uh, these comparisons to her being a Montanist. Mm-hmm. In fact, I feel like most of the time, this, this is just my opinion. I'm just sharing my opinion here. All right. But I really feel like our tendency to want to paint Beth Moore as this person who claims to hear voices from God. I think that when we're, we're harping on that aspect of her ministry, I don't think we're, we're going to be winning many of her people mm-hmm. into understanding what's wrong with her. Right. I really think if you're going to find a vulnerable place in the stuff that she does, you really need to be pointing at uh, Joyce Meyer, right. Joel, Osteen, Joel and Victoria Osteen, or associations mm-hmm. with Brian Houston, or associations with, with Bethel Church. Mm-hmm. That's where you need to go right. and say, this, this is why Beth Moore is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of folks really just don't know enough about her teaching. Mm-hmm. They just grab little bits and pieces, videos off of YouTube and say, see, this is why Beth Moore is dangerous. To, to people who really, really like Beth Moore, that just makes you look like a conspiracy theorist. Right. Uh, not to say that you're wrong. It's just probably not the best approach to try to win people who really are under her influence and warning them about the, the problems that she poses. Yeah, you're more likely to cause an argument than... Yeah, it's actually get anywhere. They're going to right away. They're going to dismiss you. Oh, you're one of those. Yeah. You're one of the heresy hunters. Yeah. You know, so you have to be discerning about it. You got to understand the instruction of Christ to be as shrewd as serpents Mm -hmm. and as gentle as doves. That's right. It's almost like shrewd as serpents almost means you have to think like they think. Mm -hmm. Like how what's the other side of this argument? Right. How do I think like the person that I'm arguing with so that I might be able to show them some truth mm-hmm. and then being as gentle as doves when you when you do that? OK, so having done those questions now, mm-hmm. I've got two more questions left here. And both of these questions are pretty heavy. OK. And I really don't think we have enough time left in the program to address them both. And uh, you are uh, you also get closer and closer to fading i do when we get to kind of this part of the program (laughs) i try to stay peppy i'm sorry guys (laughs) if we can somehow get to on a thursday recording these earlier in the day yeah i can i can probably keep becky's energy level up through through the duration of the program children actually napped that would be helpful yes or at least laid down you know because then we can come downstairs and record while they're napping right yeah yeah but that doesn't happen did you did you drink anything before we you know like some tea or some coffee before I had we sat water, down? Yeah, some I, water. Yeah, I also had quite a bit of candy to <laughs> to pet me up. But it's gone. It, it's um, it's probably faded. Yeah. <laughs> so as uh, as my uh, as my wife's 
uh, as the head of this household. <laughs> I could take a break and run upstairs and grab some more. Then I have about another half hour. Well, true. But we, I, like I said, you know, as we but try to keep these. it takes about 15 minutes to hit first. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> so. so we have to stop the recording. <laughs> right. <laughs> we got to let the sugar kick in. It's, um, what, what do you call that? Intermission. <laughs> Let's take an intermission. Let me play another what video here. But then while uh, while you would be doing that, we still wouldn't have uh, enough time to polish off the rest of these questions this anyway. This is very so true. I'm still trying to think, like, how are we going to fill up the whole hour here? We're just going to cut it a tad bit short, just a few yeah, minutes shorter than usual. We should have conversed a little bit more in the beginning, huh? So now you can do your plugs. My plugs. So, yeah. So the Friday podcast is when you email in their questions okay. and we answer them. And um, you can be very creative in your question to make sure you get on the podcast. Which is what Jonathan from Arizona did. Exactly. Right? Or you can just straight out ask your question. And um, just if we have time, we can put it on the podcast. And if not, then um, we'll save it for the next podcast. <laughs> Or we email you back. We always email back, though, the answers. Uh, well, I can't say that. No? <laughs> Are you uh, slacking? Yeah, I don't email everybody back. Okay. Some of you have not received any emails from me at all. Aww. So, now, but I... we love you. And lately, we thank you have, so much for your support. Yes, we do. And, and we questions. we pray for you. We do. And we appreciate your prayers for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we just keep plugging away. So as, as long as the Lord is going to have us doing this, it is a privilege for us to be able to do it. And we thank you for your continued support. And by the way, in supporting this ministry, there's a couple of ways that you can do that. You can send donations to the church. And we've talked about that before. If you go to wwutt.com and click on the Give tab, mm-hmm. you can send a contribution to the church that way through the Internet. Or you can send a check, send it in the mail to First Southern Baptist Church, 1220 West 8th Street, Junction City, Kansas, 66441. Um, there is something else that I've got coming up in the near future that maybe you can also do this to help support the ministry. Mm-hmm. And it would be a financial support. I'll talk about that at another time. Uh, but in the meantime, it, you can't give money, and we always encourage you to support your local church first. Oh, yes, definitely. So you're giving your of your offerings to your local church before you give to us, and then whatever else you can send our way, we would greatly appreciate it. Yes. Um, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, and, and the way that if you can't give... The way that you can always support us is just to tell somebody else about the ministry. Yes. Just share the videos on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Can you share the videos on Instagram? I have no idea. I'm not even on Instagram. I'm not either. Never used it. Don't even know about it. I think I started an account one time, so Mm -hmm. you could probably find when we understand the text on Instagram. Yeah. Because I might have started it. But I'm not there. Yeah. There, there's nothing on there. So. Um, I know you can post videos, so I don't know if somebody can copy and paste it. Yeah, something or, like that. I don't know. I've never seen anybody link it to... Because, like, on Twitter, it'll post that somebody posted on Instagram. Yeah. So I'll click on it to see what they posted. And um, I've never seen anybody post about a different... Like, a link for a different um, website. You know what I mean? Like, um, maybe as a blog, but not as a YouTube anything. Right. So I don't know if you can. Well, I've, I know I've seen us through Pinterest. I've yeah. seen like Pinterest yep. links to what videos and stuff like yes. that before or our memes, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a way that you can support the ministry and uh, just share whatever we post online and let folks know about when we understand the text. We appreciate it very much. We'll be back next week. Yes. God willing. 
Let us pray. Yes, let's. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together, and we thank you that uh, you have revealed to us the meaning of life, and that meaning is through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the grave, ascended to heaven, where he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, so that all who believe in him will be forgiven their sins and will have fellowship with God, not just in this life, but eternally forever with the Lord in the kingdom that we have been promised as fellow heirs with Christ. And we have all of our meaning and purpose and significance in this. We were made for worship. We were made to honor God and to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of us are sinners and had fallen short of the glory of God, and it is only by your grace and mercy that our sin has been shown to us and the, the path to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, has been made. So I pray that we would rejoice in this daily, we would understand our significance is found in Christ alone, and we would share this hope and this truth with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. screws and they don't match anything <laughs> that's why i just leave them on the floor well of course because that's where they go well right because <sighs> i don't know what they go to so might as well just leave them where they're at so you remember where you first saw them that's right exactly that's right now you understand <laughs> instead of the safe place <laughs> you understand how my sanguine mind works that, that infamous safe place to put things that always seems to be the worst place to put things, even though at the time it's the most logical. You can throw that away. I didn't know if you needed that. No. Who's I got that? I got the other envelope up there. Oh, check. Okay. I'll straighten all this up. No, it's you're gonna you're gonna pick something okay, up and fine. find a spider. I am. That's you're what's right. gonna and happen. And then I'm gonna go. Yes. And it's gonna be like you're gonna have to explain to everybody. Don't do it. That your your place was such a mess i couldn't help myself my compulsive behaviors then you found a spider and then i found a spider and ran <laughs> for my life did your wife leave you no, no. she's just several blocks down yeah. somewhere yeah yeah <laughs> staying at sonia's house yeah. <laughs> getting away from the spiders sonia's got them too babe uh, no no she sprays so i'm gonna pretend that she doesn't shh leave me to my bubble <laughs> I gotta have a safe haven somewhere. <laughs> Is there anywhere in the world that does not have spiders? Anywhere. I haven't been everywhere in the world. Mm.
I would I would suggest cold places, but your problem is that you want a warm weather place I to do. live. Yes, <laughs> there's preferably the warm, with water. <laughs> the warm weather places are where there's the biggest bugs, babe, Ugh. especially near water. Yuck! I know. I just want the best of all worlds. Is that too much to ask? It's called heaven. <laughs> it is, and it's not too much to ask. Ask and it should be given. Ah, uh, ooh, ooh, <laughs> ooh. 